Hey, Crack fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tense world. Today is Tuesday, July 26th. One last change to our mini break podcast schedule this week. Unfortunately, Tennis Points Nate Walrith was not able to join me for today's episode. And that'll happen from time to time as things are always popping over at Tennis Point HQ. The good news is that Nate's going to join me on this podcast tomorrow for a belated edition of Tennis Point Tuesday. On tomorrow's show, Nate and I will do what we always do, which is break down each of the tour-level draws happening in any given week of the calendar. This week, we've got five different tour-level events to talk about. And on that show, we'll talk about the top seeds, talk about the dark horses we see potentially doing damage throughout the remainder of the week, offer some predictions to all of you listeners as well. We're still going to record that episode this week. It's just been moved to Wednesday instead of the, I suppose, traditional Tennis Point Tuesday episode. That said, there was some fantastic tennis throughout the course of Tuesday's tour-level action, and with five tour-level events happening this week, we just can't afford to miss a day on this mini-break podcast. So what I want to do for all of you listeners, much as I did yesterday, is offer you some scattered thoughts on the matches I saw throughout the course of Tuesday's action. Of course, I have the immense privilege to be able to broadcast some of this action as part of Tennis Channel's T2 coverage of all tour-level events happening in any given week much like our cross-court coverage we do for college tennis here at Crack Rackets. What T2 does on Tennis Channels gets to hop around 
throughout some of the best matches happening on any at any given moment, excuse me, on tour now. We don't get access to every match as the match happening on the Mothership, as I like to refer to it, or Tennis Channel sits on its own over on TC, but everything else happening throughout the course of any given day, we get to jump around on T2 and cover it all. And obviously, a man with my sort of ADHD, that's perfect for me to get to hop around so that my attention span is never uh, dissipated throughout any one match. Of course, it's also very easy to focus when we do lock in on particular matches because I have the opportunity to call players who I grew up admiring, who we've covered now for five years here on these Cracked Rackets podcasts, whether it be a guy like Dominic Team, who I've had the chance now to broadcast twice. I'm going to get Dominic Team tomorrow against Sebastian Ofner as well. Get to call the matches of a Grand Slam champion. And with that sort of intimate, ex- uh, intimate excuse is the wrong terminology, that sort of intimate viewing experience of these players being on the broadcast. You have to be finely tuned to every little detail as it's unfolding throughout the course of the match. I want to offer my reflections on the players I did get to call today. Again, that includes Dominic Team, who earned a straight set victory over, I thought, a very impressive 21-year-old in Alexander Shevchenko. I want to talk about why I was so impressed by Shevchenko, as well as talk about why I think more than anything else, Dominic Team's victory today was routine, and that's so encouraging for fans of his moving forward. Of course, I also had the opportunity to call another match in Kitzbühel. That was one of the upsets we had on the day as qualifier Sebastian Ofner, who six of his 10 career tour-level wins have come in Kitzbühel. He earns a seventh today with a three-set come-from-behind victory over Richard Gasquet. was an immensely physical match between the 36-year-old Gasquet, 26-year-old Ofner, a match that was deserving of the 1-6-7-5-7-5 scoreline that ultimately unfolded for once the action, the drama was as competitive as entertaining as that scoreline may reveal. And again, having been on the broadcast for just about all of that match, I took over in the second set. That's when the juice really started. So I want to offer my reflections from Ofner Gasquet. Some of the other matches we got to see throughout the day on T2, certainly Lorenzo Musetti's three-set victory uh, for him to just get a win after what was the result of his career in Hamburg last week, winning the title. I want to talk about why. That's particularly impressive. I got to watch clips of Atlanta. Certainly, we showed a lot of match points and a lot of set points. It was a dominant day for the Americans during the day session in Atlanta. Shelton, Paul, Brooksby all cruising to victories. I'll offer my reflections on that action. And then, of course, we did have limited play on the WTA side. I say limited because while the action in Prague unfolded, unfortunately rain wiped away the day's play in Warsaw. A few matches got underway, but no significant results for us to discuss in Warsaw. So today's focus is going to be the ATP action again in Umag, in Kitzbühel, in Atlanta. We'll touch on Prague a bit at the end as well. Of course, the reason we're able to do all of this here day in, day out on this mini break podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. Sincerely, I am well aware I would not be having the opportunity to be on the broadcast for T2 this week and last week as well if it wasn't for all of you listeners continuing to tune in. Clearly, Tennis Channel sees some value in what we're doing here at Cracked Rackets, offering me the opportunity as such to go on the broadcast. And the only reason what we do has value is because of the support we get from all of you listeners who tune in day in, day out to sometimes my ramblings, most of the time my nonsense, but who are tuned into everything happening throughout the uh, levels 
in the tennis world. And we know it's our job here at Cracked Rackets to provide you all of the information as unless it's your full-time job, it's going to be impossible to follow five tour-level events happening in a single week. Thankfully, our friends at Tennis Point support us here at Cracked Rackets, so we're able to do just that for all of you listeners. Of course, the way you can show some thanks to Tennis Point is anytime you need tennis gear, it's the easiest place to go. And another incentive to go there, it's got the best equipment at the best prices, all again available at the palm of your hand. You go to tennis-point.com today. You're inevitably going to make a purchase. How can you resist? That tennis gear is oh so appetizing. When you do make that purchase, use our promo code CR15. Not only will it let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, it was a very fun day of action on the ATP and WTA Tour. Let's get into it here on today's episode. We really get two surfaces for the price of one as we have red clay events continuing to unfold and the physicality of red clay uh, just poses such a stark contrast to the month-long grass court season we just saw unfold. It's a fun contrast. I miss this physicality. I miss the 15, 20, 25 ball rallies, these players sliding in and out of corners displaying remarkable feats of athleticism. Sometimes these players slide into these shots, and I just think to myself, if we normal humans, and as you listeners know, I like to think of myself as an above-average athlete. Now, not necessarily elite speed, but I am still, sorry, in shape. Like I still try to perform athletics each and every day, even if it's not playing tennis, you know, on the exercise bike, whatever it may be. If I tried to slide out there, like these elite athletes slide around the court, my entire groin would come out of my body. It would just be on the tennis court, just every limb, every tendon shredded to pieces if I tried to pull off the feats of flexibility these athletes perform. It's just remarkable. And the sliding happens on grass courts now, albeit not quite to the extent it does on the other two surfaces, but the sliding absolutely happens on the hard courts. And just the degree of physicality it takes, how hard you have to hit the ball to hit a winner because of how well all of these athletes move laterally now, it's extraordinary. And I do think the tennis has become more physical. Yes, I've become more attuned to it as I tune in day in, day out. But I think the depth in professional tennis, not just, you know, I think players 1 through 10 have always been really good, but not just the depth 10 through 50. The depth 10 through 1,000, honest to God, in the rankings. That's takeaway number one for me is how good all of these players are now. Takeaway number two is how physical the game has become. Men's tennis, women's tennis, it doesn't matter. The lateral movement is just exceptional. And I'll start with the Ofner gas game match in Kitzbühel today. That was the first match I called, but I think that match best epitomized the physicality I'm referring to. It was impossible for either of these players to manufacture any easy points, any easy winners throughout the course of this match because both of them moved so well laterally. And yes, 
I'm including Richard Gasquet in that conversation. Gasquet, 21 and 17 now overall on the year. Was fascinating to see him play on the red clay, the challengers in Lyon, a challenger, I should say, in Lyon, as opposed to trying to play any of the ATP grass court events during the month of June. But man, credit to the 36-year-old. It works. And he just came out firing in set number one. The backhand down the line, I swear to God, in the era of NFTs, in the era of GIFs, can we not – we don't have to put Richard Gasquet in the Hall of Fame because, quite frankly, as good as the Frenchman has been, top 10 player, multiple second weeks and quarterfinals at Grand Slams, multiple titles in his career, Richard Gasquet is not a Hall of Famer. His one-handed backhand's a Hall of Fame shot. It's probably the best one-hander, and yes, I include Roger Federer in that conversation, and yes, Dominic Team, Stan Wawrinka – Honest to God, Lorenzo Musetti hasn't done enough yet, but his one-handed backhand is gorgeous. Gasquet's one-hander is nicer than all of them, more effective, in my opinion, than all of them as well. Can't we just put an NFT—can't we do like a GIF section of the Tennis Hall of Fame or an NFT section and just put the Gasquet backhand in the Hall of Fame, put the Del Potro forehand in the Hall of Fame, put the John Isner serve, not John Isner, but the John Isner serve in the Hall of Fame. Let's just start inducting specific strokes or specific qualities that make certain players elite. Boy, wouldn't that spur fun arguments and you know, again, add A.L. Gruskin. If you think that's a good idea, should we put the Richard Gasquet one-handed backhand in the Hall of Fame? Please tweet at me. I always love hearing from you listeners, even if I'm not always the best at responding on Twitter. But point being, Gasquet was working that backhand, whether it was the down-the-line winners he hit throughout the course of the match, whether it was just the elevation on his forehand out of the corners. He was just hitting these high, loopy balls and just, again, the depth he was producing, the angle he was producing. He was so smart in how he moved the ball around the court because if you've seen 26-year-old Sebastian Ofner, who's outside the top 200 right now but reached the top 200 back in 2019 and has struggled a bit of late, uh, you know, certainly hasn't been the best uh, season for him, although he was out for seven months from September to April, September of last year to April of this year with injury. He then comes back and does win a challenger in Prague in April right away, has, you know, slowly worked his way back into shape since then. But credit to Ofner, man, who comes through qualifying. And now again, he's won 11 tour level matches in his career, seven of them have come in Kitzbühel as Ofner knocks off Gasquet one six seven five seven five, And, you know, if you haven't seen Ofner play, it's a big forehand. It's a funky grip on that forehand as well. As such, it's a little harder for him to manufacture pace on that side unless he gets a big, you know, has the opportunity to set his feet and take a big cut behind that ball. Also, He's not the most comfortable moving forward, and we saw him flub a couple of backhand volleys throughout the course of this match. In particular, he had a couple match, uh, excuse me, set point opportunities in set number two, flubbed the backhand volley, could have closed out the match earlier in Richard Gasquet's final service game, was a marathon service game for Gasquet, but... You know, Gasquet able to hit first serves down the tee on the ad side to the Ofner forehand or slice out wide on the deuce. And that's what Gasquet did so well was mix up his spots in particular. The, the pattern that probably won him the most points throughout the course of this match. And by the way, for the majority of the match, both guys were under 50% on the first serve. You look for Ofner, 49.5% on the first serve. Obviously, that's a struggle. 
uh, for any player if you're making less than 50% of your first serve. Similarly, Gasquet wasn't much better. He was at 50%, 49 of 98 throughout the course of the match. Neither guy made a lot of first serves, which is what led to the physicality we saw throughout this match. His points were started at neutral the majority of the time. This essentially became a ground stroke game. But when Gasquet did land first serves out wide, first serve out wide, second ball to the ad side just to make Ofner cover the entirety of the court, third ball to the forehand forcing Sebastian Ofner to hit that forehand on the run. And then just every opportunity was open to Gasquet, down the lines, the short angles. He employed the drop shot remarkably effectively in sets one and two. But the physicality of the 26-year-old one out, who was just willing to play 20, 25, 30-shot rallies, it was immensely impressive from Ofner, who again reached a career high of number 126 back in 2019. And you look for Sebastian Ofner again, Kitzbühel has always been a place that has been kind to him. You look throughout the course of his career, reached the semifinals back in 2017, round of 16 in 2019, 2020, didn't play it last year as he was injured, but or wasn't injured, but just I guess didn't play it. Uh, but, you know, this time, you know, again, gets through the main draw in qualifying two straight set victories, another win for him over Richard Gasquet. And what Ofner did so well was just stay relentless because as well as Gasquet spread the court, he wasn't ripping winners. Yeah, there were a couple of really nice backhand winners that were set up by drop shots. And it was, you know, the drop shot, backhand, passing shot combination or for Sebastian Ofner, uh, or excuse me, for Gasquet, just a straight up winner on the drop shot. He hit some nice forehands, short angle cross court as well. But man, Ofner tracked everything down. And really, you could tell, start a set number two. He holds fairly simply. And you know, again, he was making less than 49% of his first serves. He makes three of five first serves in set number one, uh, in game number one of set number two, excuse me. He then has multiple breakpoint chances against Gasquet in Gasquet's opening service game of the set uh, by just extending rallies by offering Gasquet nothing for free. Gasquet made three unforced errors in that second uh, in that first service game of the second set. Excuse me. Sorry, my brain is scrambled. It's been a lot of tennis today. In that first Gasquet service game of the second set, Gasquet makes three unforced errors to offer those two break points to Ofer. Now in those moments, Gasquet again, you knew what he was doing. First serve out wide on the deuce, first serve down the tee at the ad. He threw kick body at Ofner on just about every second serve as well. He became predictable. And to Ofner's credit, he was aware, uh, you know, he was aware of that predictability, if that makes sense. He became acutely aware, I should say, of what Gasquet was trying to do and was willing to wait it out and said, that's fine. You can do this, but you're not going to beat me doing this. And to Ofner's credit, he moved the backhand extraordinarily well around the court. He had more opportunities to step into the forehand. And then go watch the match point, 5-6. It was match point number four, I believe. What does Ofner do on the match point? He moves forward to the net and forces Gasquet to come up with a pass that Gasquet is not able to come up with. And so, again, a credit to Sebastian Ofner, who uh, gets a much-needed win at the tour level, given the points those tour level victories provide. And you look for Sebastian Ofner now on the ATP. He's now 11-13 and 13 overall. Again, seven of those main draw wins coming in Kitzbühel. You look for him now in the live rankings with his victory. Sticks at number 216 in the live rankings, which jumps him up 16 spots from where he was entering the week. But, you know, what is 216? 
you're getting into U.S. Open qualities, and you look for Sebastian Ofner in his career at the Slams. He's uh, only played two main draws in his career. Wimbledon, 2017, he made the third round. French Open this year, he got in through qualifying. To get into, you know, again, what's the name of the ball game? as we say all the time? Getting into the Grand Slams. A, those first-round paychecks, sometimes the four biggest paychecks some players get throughout the course of any season. B, it's the points that are available as well to those who qualify for the main draw. Of course, coming up next for Sebastian Ofner, should he want to earn additional points. And with one more victory, Ofner will jump to number 201 in the live rankings. It's a tough matchup for him next, though, as he's taken on 2019. Kitzbühel champion, I believe, in Dominic Team, And look, Dominic Team's back to his ways. He From 2015 to 2019, or maybe it's 2014 to 2018, but there was a five-year span where Dominic Team averaged 73 matches over the course of those five years. Why did his body break down, the wrist break down, the way that it did? No one can be certain, but playing 73 matches a year for five consecutive years, it's not going to help your body. From a recovery standpoint, and you know, I say that because for the first time since those 2018, 2019 years, we're seeing Dominic Team play four consecutive weeks. And given how few matches he's played over the past year, given the fact that you know he didn't advance very far in his challenger week number one, and you know he went quarterfinal in Bostad semifinals in Stad. Now he's playing a hometown event or a home country event in Austria. Kitzbühel won that. Why would he ever skip given it's in his home country? The context of these four consecutive weeks are different than the four consecutive weeks he used to play even as the world, you know, as a top 10 player in the world. But I'll tell you what, in his 4-2 and victory over Alexander Shevchenko today, that was the most routine win we've seen from Dominic Team in 2022. And Dominic Team lost his first seven matches of the season. He's now seven and three overall since that seven match losing streak. And again, quarterfinals in Bostad, semifinals in Stad. Earned some good victories along the way, certainly. As you look for Dominic Team last week, I thought was particularly impressive for him to grind out that 7-6 win over Hugo Gaston. Good wins over Del Bonis and Juan Pablo Varias. You know, both of those wins in straight sets last week, it was another straight set win over a lower-ranked player in 21-year-old Alex Shevchenko, the Russian making his ATP main draw debut as a lucky loser this week in Kitzbühel. I will say this. I like the Russian's game. He's got weapons. He did not wilter. At, at the crowd in Austria, at the moment of playing his first top 50 player in his career, and you know, he's one in three against top 100 players. I know technically Dominic Team's not a top 50 player right now, but he's a top 50 player uh, right now, particularly with how well he's moving and how well he's exploding through the ball. And I forget what point it was on, but he hit this one defensive, almost lob-like, but it wasn't because of the pace on the ball, and yet it was elevated like a lob. It was elevated with racket speed. This one-handed backhand return, that was laughably excellent. And just a telltale sign that Dominic Team is back. And again, looking for Team, you know, his two losses, Baez in three sets, a loss to Berrettini. Yeah, he lost to Fasundo Bagnus as well in the first month of the season, uh, in the first event of the month, excuse me. But I think Dominic Team is back. He was exploding through the ball down the line. He made 69% of his first serves, only faced one break point in the match and was broken on that on that break point. But, you know, he didn't face a break point in the first set. 
He goes up a break, 6-4-2-1 in the second, gets broken right back for two all, but rips off the next four games of the match and just began to separate himself and just had Shevchenko moving corner to corner. And I'll say this again, the 21-year-old who you feel like he could lose 10 pounds and it, he would gain a step half a step at least in his movement just has some baby weight still on him but man the fluidity his backhand's different but how well he snaps through that ball how well he gets his weight behind that ball the explosion of his forehand Shevchenko won his first challenger title earlier this season I'm kind of in on the Russian, who's currently 157 in the rankings, two off his career high of 155, which he reached earlier this month. Again, he won that Bratislava Challenger back at the start of June. I'm in on the Russian. I'm just saying, he has weapons. He reminds me a lot of a better-tempered Denis Novikov, the former UCLA All-American Kalamazoo Boys 18s winner who always had the weapons, the serve, the forehand, the feel on the backhand. I know that's a deep cut for some of you Cracked Rackets fans, but Shevchenko is a more motivated Denis Novikov. And ask all the Southern California coaches if a motivated, how good a motivated Denis Novikov might have been. Uh, again, fun match, but team made it look routine. And that's about the highest compliment I can offer him, given the injuries he's gone through over the past year. That said, your other matches in Kitzbühel, Pedro Martinez, 6-3 and three victory over the big-serving Nicolás Yari. Martinez's backhand held up surprisingly well as a return throughout the course of this match. But more importantly, he just did a great job spreading the court, getting the big man on the move. Funkiest match of the day belongs to Andahar Sanego. Uh, Andahar was up a set in what? like 3-0 or something massive and or was up maybe 5-0 in the first only to see that lead dissipate and Sinego work his way all the way back to force a third set and or maybe it was 5-0 in the third it's been a lot of tennis today folks but again that match was weird ultimately Andahar 7-6 in the third four players age 36 or older in the top 50 uh, in the top 100 Isner Nadal Gasquet and Andahar Shout out Pablo Andahar, three-set win over Sonego. And then Yana Konofman, 6-4, one all advances after Gerard Meltzer, uh, forced to retire with injury. That was your action in Kitzbühel. Let's move next to the action we saw in Atlanta. Again, it was a dominant day for the Americans. And I won't spend too long on this because there's not much to offer from an analytical perspective on these matches. They were over that quickly. But the summer of Tommy Paul continues. Quarterfinals, Queens Club, quarterfinals, Netherlands, or two of the grass courts. He makes quarterfinals, round of 16 at Wimbledon. One in one victory over Jack Sock. He was up 5 or 3 0 in the first set in a blink of an eye. And again, I think that match was under an hour. Sock wasn't particularly great. Bunch of net cords went against him, but everything's clicking right now for Tommy Paul. He has taken a leap this year. And you look for Tommy Paul, 31 in the points race. He may just be seated at the 2022 U.S. Open. Massive victory for Jensen Brooksby, who looked a little better in Wimbledon and just worked Benoit Pair until Pair broke. And when Benoit Pair breaks and doesn't want to play tennis anymore, you're going to beat him. And that's exactly what Jensen Brooksby does. Beats him three and one. Just Pair didn't offer up much of a fight. Of course, the winner of tennis Twitter on the day and winner in Atlanta, Ben Shelton, who I believe it's his first ATP main draw victory. He earns a 6-2-7-5 win over Ram Kumar Ramanathan. It was a routine win. You know, again, Shelton was up a break for most of the second set, seeded that break back, but then quickly got it back uh, at the end of the second. I mean, look, 
Champagne Challenger quarterfinals, la- end of last season. Little Rock Challenger semifinals right after winning the NCAA title in May. Comes through qualifying to make the Rome semifinal, uh, Rome final challenger a couple weeks ago. Follows it up with a semifinal performance uh, with a good win over Max Purcell last week in Indianapolis. He may be ranked lower than Ram Kumar Ramanathan. He is better than Ram Kumar Ramanathan. And again, in my opinion, if you're surprised by that victory, you just haven't been paying attention. He made it look routine because that's how good he is. His serve out wide on the ad side is a joke. He hits the kick well as a lefty on the deuce. He can hit the slice tee. His forehand is just a legitimate weapon. He can drive that backhand through the court. 6'3", 6'4", moves extraordinarily well. He's the real deal. And with his victory now, Ben Shelton up to a new career high, 251. He's played like nine tournaments in his life. He's 250. Sorry, he's 27 and 8 in his last 52 weeks, 29 and 11 overall in his career. He's played 12 professional events and he's and he's now into the top. There he's 251 in the world. I told you folks I, for months now, if he's not in the top 100 at the end of the year, it's because he didn't play enough events. It's not because of his level. Uh, big win for him. Big win for Mackie McDonald. Two and six over Dennis Kudla. Ilya Avashka, three set win over Quinton Halise. That was your action in Atlanta. And again, we'll get into all the storylines who were watching most closely. Certainly Ben Shelton on that list. But man, is this draw loaded. Shelton, Brooksby, Isner, all in one quarter. You've got Tiafo, Nakashima, Kyrgios, Demonauer, Opelka, Paul. Delicious. Delightful. It's going to be a fun week of play at the John Isner Open in Atlanta. Dare I say, here's my bold prediction. I'll say it to Nate as well. The winner in Atlanta is not going to be John Isner. But of course, you know who's cert- where John Isner certainly not going to win this week? In Umag, where he's not even in the draw. But plenty of entertaining players are, including... Lorenzo Musetti, last week's champion in Hamburg, a three-set victory over Alias Badene. He was cruising, up 6-2-1 love, up a set and a break, looked like the match was over. Badene flipped the script. Badene just was not willing in his final season to go down easily, and I think he caught Musetti off guard with his fight in the second set, but... Credit to Musetti, steady things in the third. First serve percentage took a big rise. He's just going after the ball now with the confidence he took from Hamburg uh, more easily and just creating easy opportunities for himself. Three-set victory for Musetti. Extraordinarily impressive just given, again, mentally how draining it is. I don't care you have a day off. You win the biggest title of your career, it's going to be hard to bounce back the next week. The 21-year-old uh, does in impressive fashion. Also had a win from Alex Molchan. Got tested. I like the weapons of Duya Adukovic. I butchered that pronunciation, but the 21-year-old wild card. He reminds me of Jared Donaldson. Ball just flies off of his racket from a ground stroke perspective, but Adukovic uh, ultimately just couldn't handle the variety of Molchan. There were eight breaks through the first 12 games in this match. Things steadied on serve as both guys started making more first serves down the home stretch of the match, but Molchan continues a breakout season. There's a reason he's top 50, and he's a top 25 player, in my opinion. On the clay courts, your other winners on the day, Quarantine Moutet, 
Upset victory over six-seeded Daniel Altmaier. Good for the lefty Frenchman. For Franco Agamanone, uh, three-set win over Laszlo Jura. Fasundo Bagnus, a win over Echeverri Gombos. Zapata Morales, your other winners in Umag. With that said, quickly on the WTA side, and again, with the rain in Warsaw and Prague being earlier in the day, didn't get to watch too much of the WTA action. We'll lock in on it more tomorrow, but Annette Conteve starting to look like Annette Conteve again. 0-1 victory. She crushed Gorgadza uh, earlier today. Of course, also I thought was particularly impressive was one of the youngsters we saw competing in Havlikova. You look, uh, of course, Lucy Havlikova, uh, I believe was the 20, uh, excuse me, Lucy Havlikova, I, I meant to say, uh, Linda Noskova, uh, the 2021 Junior French Open Women's Singles Champion. Her match finished short, but Naskova has freaking weapons, and she's up 6-2-3-1 on Vikelian Seva and just cruising. She was super, super impressive uh, on the day, as was Barbara Krachikova, a routine 6-3-6-1 win. It just looked like the depth on her ground strokes had returned after she—I thought she was just leaving the ball short on the clay. I just didn't think she had her feet under her when she was hitting out of the corner. She certainly had her feet under her today. A dominant performance over Blinkova. Uh, Salkova, impressive victory. Potapova keeps rolling. Two and one win. Good win for Alize Cornet. Straight sets. Tomova, straight set winner. Then your upset of the day, Selic Mateva, uh, a win over Serana Kirstea. Again, I wish I spent more time watching the action in Prague or the WTA action in general as in Warsaw. Uh, you did have a win from Paulini. One and one. Clara Burel, a victory, Anna Bogdan upsets Nuria Paris as Diaz. Outside of that, everything suspended due to the rain that came pretty early in the day in Poland. With that said, that was your action on Tuesday across the ATP and WTA tours. Again, we're going to spend more time breaking down all of it tomorrow with our guy, Nate Walrath, as he joins us for a belated edition of Tennis Point Tuesday. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. We will continue to have many breaks for you each and every day this week as we keep you up to date on our five tour-level events. Two surfaces for the price of one. But with all of that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you.